The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So... Go to podsurvey.com slash goodfootball and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash goodfootball. G-O-O-D-F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L. Thanks for your help. Welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. I'm Josh Norris, joined by Patrick Doherty. Pat, we made it. End of week one, heading into week two. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to sleeping for the first time since last Wednesday. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we made it, and I'm uh, yeah, I'm energized. We're already ready for week two. It feels like we haven't done enough content yet, Pat. No. <laughs> yeah. So let's keep putting out that content for everyone. Yeah, I'm going to triple my amount of content this week. That's my pledge for week two. So um, if you missed the previous podcast, we went... Writer by writer, blurber by blurber, kind of a whip around, around the horn, um, and got, since they watched every single game, got their views, their narratives, their stories, their, basically covered every single fantasy relevant player, so go back and listen to that episode of the podcast if you haven't. Today, a little bit different. We're going to have kind of our four main, what we learned, our four main takeaways from the weekend, and then later on, hit on the waivers, because I know it's waiver day for everyone. That's important. Big day. We're going to kind of skim the surface, and John Daigle's column, which is up on Tuesday mornings on Roto World, is the right place to do that. So, Pat, let's kick it off with some of the things that we learned from the weekend. And you want to talk about the LA Rams at the Carolina Panthers. Well, yeah, I mean, Ty Gurley was the hottest button issue of the entire summer, and people he already turned in like a very divisive performance. People, people are planting flags on both sides of the debate, which I guess is not that unusual in fantasy football. But, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers are there. Almost 100 yards rushing. Uh, 15 touches, pretty solid usage, but it's not the usage that made Todd Gurley a fantasy superstar. Uh, He was held below 15 touches precisely zero times last year before he got injured, before the injury issues kicked in in late November. And, you know, the yardage was nice yesterday, but two very alarming stats. Obviously, the lack of goal line carries, which he ceded to Malcolm Brown, and only one target in the passing game. Before he was injured last year, he averaged 5.3 targets per game. And without goal line carries and without four to five weekly targets, Todd Gurley is not Todd Gurley. And he, he may have looked healthy for now. Uh, maybe the knee's in better shape than they thought. But to me, where some people saw reasons for optimism, I saw the same reasons for concern that I yeah. felt all summer. Rams won, I should have said this, the top 30 to 27 on the road at Carolina. Pat, this is a game that was full of positive game script, like extreme positive game script the Rams. They were not dominant in the first half, but leading all the way through halftime and throughout the entire game. So it is concerning. 
14 carries, 97 yards, no touchdowns for Todd Gurley. Meanwhile, 11 carries, 53 yards, and two touchdowns for Malcolm Brown. I got in trouble during the game because I tweeted that through three quarters, Malcolm Brown was outplaying Todd Gurley. I completely stand by that. I don't, and I do care. I, I think that Todd Gurley's still a good football player. Do not get me wrong, Rams fans. Don't think I'm saying that Todd Gurley isn't worth the money or whatever. But it's noteworthy, Pat, because we care about opportunity. And the most important opportunity is goal-to-go situations. And Malcolm Brown got two scores out of those. And Todd Gurley, I don't even think, had an opportunity in that area of the field. No, he didn't. And your tweet was not quite as provocative as mine. At one point, I tweeted, Todd Gurley, ellipses, maybe done? Oh, question okay. mark. Good, you um, taught me. You went up. I did. It was earlier in the game. So I think people had forgotten about it by the time he got to 97 yards. But, uh, you know, usually in fantasy, you try to avoid touchdown or bust fantasy options. But if Malcolm Brown is going to be the true going back, you know, it's only one week sample size. Right. But yeah, the goal line back in the Rams offense will be fantasy relevant and be at least a weekly flex play. And, and we don't want to overreact, but we don't but we want do. to underreact. We want to be somewhere in the middle, and this kind of goes for this entire episode. But there is something here, and we can read into one game, but we don't want to, you know, jump that into an entire 16-game season. But Malcolm Brown played 21 snaps, Daryl Henderson two, and Todd Gurley 53. So that does point into a positive direction for Gurley moving on past week one, I guess. It does, but this is also the healthiest he's going to be all season. How is he going to rebound after playing 53 snaps? And, uh, yeah, so it's a situation where I would say has very much not been settled. And if you're talking about overreacting and underreacting, obviously you don't want to ever overreact. But if you're going to choose between which pole of reaction, yeah. overreaction is sometimes better than underreaction earlier in the fantasy season. Because if you, like, are too patient, you're going to miss the boat on a lot of the biggest uh, – so what I'm saying is cut Ty Gurley, obviously. Just get him off your team. That is uh, not what he's saying. <laughs> no, Absolutely uh, not. What he's saying. Yeah. Um, I, I do have a little bit of concerns, and this is my question to you, and we'll end on this topic. Is it possible that Todd Gurley is now the closer for the Los Angeles Rams? Because Malcolm Brown, or at least split the workload when it's negative or neutral game script with Malcolm Brown, and then later on, like he was in this one, because a lot of his yards were created against defensive backs, either in one on one matchups that Sean McVay and the offensive line were able to create against corners and safeties and break those tackles. It's not the worst scenario to be in. We've seen Derrick Henry be massively production productive in that role. But I do wonder if it's a different one. And I think it's pretty clear it is a different one for Gurley this year than it was last year. I would say closer was the role that made sense yesterday. I think a lot of times maybe opener might make more sense for Todd Gurley. Yesterday, trying to close out like a hard-fought game on the road. You don't want to blow a a big, what's a very big road victory in week one of the season. But, you know, at home, the Rams probably going to be blowing a lot of people out. I think it might make a lot more sense to see Malcolm Brown closing out games. Does Gurley, just unfortunately, you know, we were hoping for some clarity, and I feel like we got no clarity whatsoever yesterday on the overall outlook for Todd Gurley this season. And I actually think that this is probably the lowest usage we'll see from Daryl Henderson in this entire season. Yeah, well, it can't really get any lower, so, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's shift over to the Dallas Cowboys winning against the New York Giants, 35-17. to Who saw that coming? I mean, just wow. (laughs) Well, maybe what we didn't see coming was just how good Kellen Moore looked as a play caller. Um, I mean, just in previous years, Pat, we've kind of perceived Dak Prescott, or this is the perception around him, not we, but as a game manager, as someone who was a secondary piece to Ezekiel Elliott, he was at the forefront of this game. I mean, the passing game was what clinched, sealed, brought them to victory with the Dallas Cowboys. He was 25 of 32. Dak Prescott was 405 yards and four touchdowns. It wasn't just Amari Cooper who looked outstanding and more consistent 
we've ever seen before. It was Michael Gallup taking that second year jump and creating separation down the field and in the in intermediate areas. It's also Randall Cobb. I mean, a newly rejuvenated Randall Cobb in the slot, catching four passes for 69 yards and a touchdown. The healthiest we've seen him for quite some time. This is an exciting offense with the Dallas Cowboys and not just run focused. It is, and don't forget Jason Witten, also all the way back. Uh, he had a touchdown. Falling forward. Yeah. Uh, the Cowboys, talk about, it was an, talk about delivering on narratives um, with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, Kellen Moore's offseason pledge was basically to modernize the Cowboys offense, optimize the play sequencing, uh, get people more in space to make plays, uh, do more pre-snap motion. Just, it was basically an antiquated offense last year. It had a lot of great skill talent, but it was kind of an antiquated offense that was getting in its own way more than it should have. And Kellen Moore, basically his off-season talk was he wasn't pledging to like completely uh, reinvent the wheel. He just wanted to give it a new coat of paint, give it some grease. And I think he did more than that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but at the, at the bare minimum, he right. did do that. And yeah, maybe I guess yeah, maybe I could be underselling it. But he, the narrative was let's just bring this Cowboys offense into the 21st century, and it was a terrible opponent, but uh, that was very much accomplished. We yesterday. need to remember that though, because one, the Giants might have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Yes. Like they're not a good football team, and in fact. I would say the defense is why they lost this game and not necessarily Eli Manning's play or anything offensively. Never, anytime you can blame something Eli Manning, don't blame it on something else. Okay. That's a life credo. Um, but I will also say with the Cowboys, tons of play action, tons of players running wide open. It was beautiful. And it certainly helps how good this offensive line is. I mean, Travis Frederick back, they had a lot of issues and injuries last year, at least right now in this current iteration. I mean, it makes total sense that this might be a top five, top ten offense. And, again, that's not something we could say. And it shows you how quickly an offense can change perceptions, can change opinions just from the play caller from year to year. Yeah, it's going to be one of the most exciting offenses in fantasy football. I mean, Dak Prescott was literally perfect. Uh, Lamar what? Jackson posted the 73rd perfect quarterback rating in NFL history yesterday. And then uh, Dak Prescott posted the 74th. Uh, some people might be a little worried about Ezekiel Elliott's usage. 13 carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown. Tony Pollard also 13 carries, 24 yards. I'm a little more concerned, and I talked about this in the Whip Around podcast, um, about his passing down usage. Because last year we know that he was unlocked, Zeke was. 77 receptions. We were hoping that that could keep intact because that's what the other top three running backs, top four running backs do with Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. He only had, I believe, one reception. In this game. And in a lot of facets, Jamie Zolawali was being inserted in that passing down, pass protecting role, and not Ezekiel Elliott. But do wonder if that's because he just started practicing last week. Yeah, I mean, I understand the reasons for concern there, obviously. But to me, there were positives. You know, he was, the pregame reports were he was going to play 20 to 25 snaps. He ended up playing almost 40. And obviously, a game that was not really that competitive in the second half. So I can kind of understand the lack of overall usage. But he did exceed the pregame forecast for snaps, at least. And it's too early. It's certainly something to flag and watch the passing game usage. But again, I didn't see any like a true red flag, just basically something to bookmark for later. He, he could have had more touches, and they kind of just went to Tony Pollard when the game was yeah. done in a way. And in a closer game, he probably might have seen around 20 carries yeah, in this contest absolutely. as well. Uh, we start with Kellen Moore here, Pat. We move over to another play caller in his debut, and that's Cleve Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals. You watched this entire matchup, and you survived. I did, yeah. Uh, I was watching it with my heart, too, because... Uh, you know, if you're a regular reader, a regular viewer, a listener of Roto World, uh, 
I was I was a little high on Kyler Murray this I summer. I think every single podcast we did, you mentioned Kyler Murray for at least two or three minutes. I, I just I was I would just say I was slightly higher on him. Just 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 a little bit. No, not at all. All in. Not don't literally own him on every single team. Right. And have my entire life savings basically basically invested in uh, Kyler Kyler Murray. So uh, no, you know, to me, I'm going to get some very cliched old school hashtag football guy analysis. But a lot of, I think, the slow start for the Cardinals yesterday really was nerves. A lot of it was poor blocking. The nerves improved as the game went on. The blocking definitely improved as the game went on. Keller Moore, you know, pinpoint accuracy. Pat, I, I got to stop you. No, nerves I, is a ridiculous it, statement to me. It, it is, unless you watch. Kellen Moore, one of his calling, not Kellen, Kyler Murray, one of his calling cards is pinpoint accuracy. And he was just missing dropping a bucket throws yesterday. Throws that even, like, making his NFL debut throws that you would not expect him to miss. And he was he was missing them. And this is not something I would expect to see from Kyler Murray. He, he, to me, again, I said it's the most cliched football guy now. It's ridiculous. It was a real factor. It wow. really was a real fact. And then he settled in the fourth quarter in overtime. He was, it was great. Yeah, he was making those drop-in-the-bucket throws, tight window throws, some really tight window throws to Larry Fitzgerald. He was balling. He looked like the Kyler Murray we saw at Oklahoma and read about in practice this summer. And I could certainly see you're very uh, – it's you're definitely your right to eject, reject that kind of analysis. But to me, I honestly thought that – and the blocking was you – know, if we can't uh, – if you don't want to account for nerves, the blocking – he got literally sacked by his own offensive line in the first quarter. They cleaned up the blocking as the game went on too. Cardinals tied this game 27-27 with the Lions. Kyler Murray finished with 29 completions on 54 attempts, 308 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. I mean, Pat, we – already have, I think, the Cardinals among the leaders in four wide receiver sets and routes run among those four wide receivers across the NFL. But I can't help but think that all offseason, we heard from Chase Edmonds, we heard from all these different pieces at wide receiver and at quarterback and play callers, whoever at defense, oh, this offense is going to revolutionize the NFL. Even nerves considered, Pat, I didn't get that Chip Kelly moment here. I didn't get that Sean McVay moment here for Cliff Kingsbury. If this is what he brings in week one against a Lions defense that sure is improved, Trey Flowers, Mike Daniels, that is ultra concerning. I, I could definitely understand being concerned. It was a Lions defense too. Uh, Matt Patricia last year, say which will, has succeeded kind of against like scrambling young quarterbacks. He sent a lot of co- young quarterbacks haywire last year. So I thought it was a tougher matchup and it kind of meets the eye, even at home and especially for a player's NFL debut. But if someone wants to be skeptical of the Cliff Kingsbury offense after yesterday, uh, that is more than fair because, like yeah. you said, there were no aha. Like, I'm witnessing a revolution in real time. When, when they finally kicked into gear, I think it was just more about Kyler Murray's individual talent than it was Cliff yep, Kingsbury's I totally team. agree. And I think that's why you should still be optimistic with him as a fantasy starter and fantasy producer. Because no matter what situation he's in, he'll probably produce either early or late in games. Pat, this, the concerns might not stop here. Do you know what their next three games are? Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> it's at the Ravens, <laughs> then home against the Panthers, then home against the Seahawks. Like, this should have been the game for them to win. I don't necessarily – I honestly thought the Lions were a tougher matchup than the consensus. I, I thought that Okay, good luck game, with the Ravens yeah, next I know. So that, that's On a, the road in Baltimore. I, yeah, yeah. I'm just <laughs> – it's not great. Not how I draw it up. Right. But I, I considered the Lions part of that tough slate, and it's going to be trial by fire the first month of the season. Love the usage for David Johnson. 18 carries, 82 yards on the ground, which seems like more than any game last year. I mean, that's probably not true, but I think it might be. His 137 yards scrimmage would have been his third highest total of 2018. There we go. And then six catches for him, 50 
55 yards, seven receptions, something we just did not see out of him last year, including a touchdown. And Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, talk about a fourth quarter development and overtime development. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, eight catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown himself. Pat, let's then go to the Baltimore Ravens, the Cardinals opponent next week, uh, making their debut against the Miami Dolphins on the road. 59-10 victory over the Dolphins. You know, we have seen Lamar Jackson look awesome, but in 2018, it was all with his legs. In this contest, Lamar Jackson had just three carries for six yards. In the air, 17 completions on 20 attempts, 324 yards, and five touchdowns. I do not want to overreact because it seemed like every single time he threw the ball downfield to Marquise Brown, Wide open touchdown, but at least with the accuracy, with the timing, with the throwing, there's a lot of improvement already with an offense that was constructed around Lamar Jackson for the entire offseason by Greg Roman. That, that is the key. That's what I was going to say. What you saw yesterday was a quarterback who finally had an offense constructed around him. Last year it was a quarterback inserted midseason who kind of just had to fall back on what he's best at. And Lamar Jackson is a good passer, but what makes him special, obviously, is his running. There's a lot of people with Lamar Jackson's arm and throwing ability. It's his running that sets him apart. So it's not surprising he had to fall back on that. It's kind of like a midseason mid-season solution, you know, it's kind of thrown into the fire. Uh, the Ravens did. So they, uh, this offseason you saw two teams trying to build around quarterbacks, uh, kind of unique skill set quarterbacks, the Bills and Josh Allen and the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. I just thought the Ravens' plan was much more coherent uh, from the start. This made a lot more sense. Like, a very convincing, just I thought a great plan of attack for Lamar Jackson, the way they went about it, promoting Greg Roman, uh, just the way going out and getting a true young deep threat, uh, really enhancing the backfield. And I thought it was a great plan. And, you know, it was against the worst team in the NFL. Correct. But one of the first things good teams are supposed to do is destroy bad teams. And they destroyed a bad – they just looked yeah, – they looked like a team that executed a plan they had been working on all offseason. Which is great. And, I, I mean, it makes you think that what is Lamar's ceiling even when he can run the football. Because, Pat, it's, he wasn't even drafted as a starting quarterback in fantasy drafts, right? He was a quarterback he was, 16. Yeah, he, yes. It, depending on what league kind of leagues you're in, if you're in the leagues with kind of the galaxy brain experts like us, he was being drafted as a starter. But your home leagues, yeah, he was not. And That's their home league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So You know what I mean? Yeah. So at what point can he convince people to stop doubting Lamar Jackson, and then start him in your leagues. I mean, it has to be, like, if this performance doesn't do it with just his arm, I don't know what will for people to start considering him as a top 10 option at the quarterback position. Probably when he destroys the Cardinals this week. Yes, <laughs> perfect matchup. Two great matchups to start the season. And it's funny because just going back to the podcast that we talked about, even this past April and May, that I loved Marquise Brown coming out of school. Thought he was loved Deshaun Jackson-like. Loved Miles Boykin. The other receiver also caught a touchdown pass out of structure, I might add, from Lamar Jackson. But I didn't love the fit because yeah. last year when John Brown, one of the best vertical receivers of the, the decade. NFL, of the decade, and we saw him with Josh Allen win the game for them, yeah. um, he had zero production once Lamar Jackson took over. So I didn't like the fit with these two players. But we already saw it here with design shots to get down the field there's a lot to love, I think. And, again, we can't expect five touchdowns. We can't expect this ridiculous completion percentage. But even if it drops down in half or there's more of, you know, consistent types and of, of plays and production there, 
you got to love what Lamar showed in week one. You do you have to. That is one thing to keep in mind. He's already had his best game of the season. That's true. He's probably not. But you also have to keep in mind, he only rushed three times for six yards. So there's still he's not going to reach probably that ceiling. But the, the, what he showed as a passer and what we know he can do as a rusher, and this floor is going to be elite. And I think, yeah, he's going to – two games is still early to say cemented, but, I mean, he's going to destroy the Cardinals. He's a must-start this week. Matthew Stafford threw for 40 more yards against the Cardinals than he did in any game last season. <laughs> Kyle, or, uh, Lamar Jackson's going to destroy the Cardinals. And I believe Lamar averaged somewhere between 17 and 19 carries last year. <laughs> and so even if he drops, and he said it was going to, down to like 12 carries this year, that's beautiful. I do want to mention – uh, the Ravens' backfield. I mean, this game was done at halftime, so let's look at the first half carries. Mark Ingram, nine. Gus Edwards, five. Justice Hill, two. There's a lot of split there. And, you know, Mark Ingram's stat line, which was fantastic, a 14 carries, 170 yards, and two touchdowns, might present a little bit of a fake mirage, a little bit, because just of how I think that they want to use all three backs in this backfield. Yeah, I was concerned to someone all in on Mark Ingram. I think Gus Edwards, I think, maybe got a touch on the opening drive. Mm. Uh, I, hope I'm, I still wouldn't be shocked if this was a function of what was essentially four quarters of garbage time. It was 42-3 yeah. to three at halftime. But, yeah, I mean, that, that was certainly uh, the Ravens said they wanted all three backs to be involved, and uh, were they ever yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, as a Mark Ingram, uh, you know, got him. And essentially, I really, I love the two touchdowns. But yeah, I'm not feeling all roses as a Mark Ingram owner. And, but they're also, I mean, this we could see also just a complete behemoth rushing attack. And if it's a true complete behemoth rushing attack, there's going to be enough room for all three of them to get work and for Mark Ingram to be an RB2 still. And already after week one, we can eliminate the Miami Dolphins from playoff contention. Yeah, I think so. And from the season. And I think we can do the same thing for the Jaguars, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. So we can get rid of two, two teams after week one. So the, the Dolphins' own veterans appear to have eliminated themselves from play, seeking trades, according to uh, Pro Football Talks' Mike Florio, after the game. Wow. Getting on the horn and immediately demanding. That's how you know it was a good Sunday, when your few remaining veteran players immediately after the game request Here, a trade. Here's my point, though. Maybe they are on the Dolphins that are tanking and are bad, so they aren't good enough to play for other teams. Maybe they need to look in the mirror and realize, I'm on the Dolphins for a reason and we're awful, so I'm probably not good enough to be on other teams as well. Yeah, so they're part of the plan. The people that were, that were good enough were either cut or, or traded or moved on from. I talked about Marquise Brown a lot during that segment. So let's now hit the waivers from this week. The full column is up on Tuesday mornings on rotorworld.com from Mr. John Daigle, but we'll hit on a number of players right now that you should keep an eye on if you have need at wide receiver or running back. And let's start with Marquise Brown. Pat, he played just 14 snaps yesterday, targeted five times, caught four of them, 147 yards and two touchdowns. Pre-draft reminded me so much of Deshaun Jackson, and he looked like the identical same player here in his debut. He did. So it was weird. You get the twin takeaways of the insane production and then only the 14 snaps. Right. Part of that was obviously the function of the score. Part of his function essentially didn't practice the summer. But, yeah, the real takeaway was Marquise Brown looked like the player he was on film. Like someone who we know has special deep speed, but someone who is – just so fast in and out of his brakes. Like, he changes gears. Like, when he changes gears, he's like an electric car, basically. Like, you don't even, like, feel it. Like, he changes gears so seamlessly. He gets to his top speed so seamlessly. And it looked like a special player on film, and it was only 14 snaps. But, I mean, looking right. like the Ravens made, it's looking like the Ravens made the right decision. And what is even more impressive is that he barely even played in the preseason. He missed a <laughs> yeah. large part of it because of an injury during the draft process the end of last year. And so doing that with just a little bit of preparation. But he is in that 
Robbie Anderson, Deshaun Jackson type of mold. Maybe. And so we don't know if that production can last each week, but he's definitely worth an add in every single 10 and 12 team format. Yeah, he is. And even if he's going to be like kind of a role player, which might be possible for the first four or five, six weeks, uh, 14 snaps is going to be the low, his lowest snap count of the year, you'd have to assume. So the role will grow. So John Ross is entering his third year in the NFL. It kind of feels like his NFL debut was this past weekend against the Seattle Seahawks. He switched numbers. Maybe this is the reason that this stat line happened with seven catches, 158 yards, and two touchdowns on 12 targets. We just basically said everything about Marquise Brown. We might be able to say the same thing about John Ross. I mean, but he played more snaps. He was really the number one wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, a team with an awful offensive line, got the ball out quickly. But even in those moments, they were able to hit John Ross on those intermediate and vertical shots. Yeah, it was a he basically doubled his career yardage total. Wow. And there were some weird takeaways. Like, I believe it was the 55-yard touchdown. It was essentially just a horrid coverage break. Not even a coverage breakdown, just bad coverage. And it was about, I think, like 26 seconds left in the half, and it was just had to be knocked down or tackled. Yeah. And, it went, and it was just an awful, awful play on the ball by the safety. It was a time. terrible play on the ball. I haven't rewatched the game. Apparently, he left some yards in the field with drops. Yeah, his but. production could have been even more. But I think that that's what we have to expect from someone like John Ross, that you take the bad with the drops to get the good with the big plays and production and yards after catch and even winning contested. Yeah, absolutely. So he had a little luck yesterday. It was a player in two years that had zero luck. And good players get lucky. If you're good, you're in position to get lucky. And hard to not I mean, I put a positive spin. I'm like, so there, like I said, there were some obvious caveats. Right. But hard not to have a little optimism. For at least, at the very least, maybe he's putting himself in that wide receiver four or five Kind of like you you really need an upside play that week. You can take a shot on John Ross, that kind of thing in fantasy. And it's not like even the Bengals played that well. No. So I think that even in a situation where the offensive line didn't play that well, a running game didn't get going, John Ross having the style of production bodes well. I mean, we do have a looming A.J. Green coming back. Obviously, Tyler Boyd is going to get his. But being able to target John Ross with just a little bit of time in the pocket, I think it's really telling. Let's go actually go to the other side. Um, with the Seattle Seahawks, D.K. Metcalf, again, making his debut. Uh, six targets, four catches, 89 yards. I mean, <laughs> they only attempted 14 passes, or 20 passes in this game, completed 14 from Russell Wilson. We were expecting Tyler Lockett to blow up. Only one catch for 44 yards and a touchdown. Seemed like he was getting bracket coverage. But the person that benefited from that, and might benefit more and more as week goes on, is D.K. Metcalf, the rookie out of Ole Miss. Yeah, but we can't claim that Pete Carroll didn't tell us how he felt about D.K. Metcalf. Yeah. All summer, uh, he would basically gather the press corps around and then just talk about D.K. Metcalf for 45 minutes. He did that, I think, every day this summer. That might be, uh, you might have to fact check that, but 45 minutes of D.K. Metcalf talk every day from Pete Carroll. And, yeah, I gotta say, I'm a, the Seahawks, are they reducing Tyler Lockett down to the bare essentials of I one really don't target, think so. no. one 50-yard touchdown per game? I think it was just the defensive style. Like, he was talking about how he was getting bracket coverage, he was getting double-team, hadn't felt that since he was back in his days at Kansas State. But defenses might do that. Yes, I mean, it's he truly something he is the only productive player that pa catches passes at wide receiver tight end for the Seahawks. So it wouldn't be surprising for that to happen again. And then you have a freak like DK on the outside that can win in one-on-one -on -one situations. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it was kind of like total misnomer. I wouldn't be surprised. I so said we've seen Lamar Jackson's best game. 89 yards might be DK Metcalf's high watermark for sure. yardage on the season. And, I mean, I'm hoping this is the last time we see Tyler Lockett under five targets. I, I said there's basically – I thought there was no way the Seahawks could keep Tyler Lockett under 100 targets this year after he only had 70 last year. 
but it was it was looking like challenge accepted yesterday. Well, and I, I agree that that's probably more a function of the defense, and maybe Tyler Lockett just growing into this new role. And it hurts again that the Seahawks carried the ball 25 times, only threw it 20 times in this game, in a game that they were trying to claw back from, and ultimately won, but they were working in negative game script the entire time. There was some weather, it rained, obviously, at Seattle, but yeah, only 14 completions on 20 attempts it was a from game. Russell Wilson. Um, again, this is the waiver segment. Go and check out the full column, John Daigle, Tuesday mornings on rotoworld.com. Let's now go to Raheem Mostert with the 49ers backfield. Um, Mostert, Mostert, tomato. <laughs> Tomato, whatever you want to do. Uh, look, Tevin Coleman seemed like he got the bulk of the workload and was expected to, and even in the passing game. Then he left, I believe, with a left ankle injury that Kyle Shanahan did not seem optimistic Basically on. Basically said it was a high ankle sprain. Whatever. <laughs> and Matt Breida even left this game for a moment to look, be looked at for a possible concussion, but he's Wolverine, so he returned to the game. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that we love Raheem Mostert, in terms of a talent. I say mustard, but he I... was someone who has shown up in the preseason, but we care about Kyle Shanahan rushing production. Matt Burrito certainly will be the 1A, but the 1B now is probably Mostert. Yeah, so this is, this is an <laughs> offense where we expect two backs to get work. Mostert kind of a journeyman, but like he's always shown well in games that don't matter and a fantasy folk hero, some big playability. Uh, I, I like him as kind of if you're looking for some upside in your bench, but I also would not be surprised, honestly, to see the 49ers sign a veteran running back this weekend. Oh, no. Alfred Morris is out there. There's someone out there on the market (laughs) recently cut loose by the Cowboys, Alfred Morris, Kyle Shanahan's old pal. So I would temper expectations a little bit for Raheem Mostert, but certainly worth a flyer. And uh, yeah. The 49ers won this game 31-17. to 17. Great Actually, game. 32 carries in total for the team. Matt Breida saw 15 just for 37 yards. Raheem, we won't go to his last name, <laughs> uh, nine carries for 40 yards. Again, it's going to be difficult to know when he's going to see 15 touches in a contest, but because of how many points this backfield puts up, he's worth an add. Yeah, it's a two-fantasy-back backfield. Absolutely worth an add. All right, let's close this one out just quickly with Nicole Hardman. Zero production yesterday, but I believe, let's look, 53 of 59 snaps for the first-year player um, out of Georgia for the Kansas City Chiefs. The reason why we're talking about a player with zero production is because Tyreek Hill will miss several weeks, multiple weeks. We have no idea. This is the first time I think I've ever heard of this injury that Tyreek Hill has. And in many ways, we kind of put two and two together of the uncertainty of Tyreek Hill's situation around draft time. That's why they draft a player like Mikkel Hardman, who has that same vertical downfield sprint speed. Um, And now he might actually get some production out of it because Tyreek Hill's set to miss a lengthy period of time. Yeah, it's a very exciting flyer to take. And despite the zero targets, he outsnapped Demarcus Robinson. So he played the second most snaps of any Chiefs wide receiver. And the zero targets, partly a function of this game was essentially over by halftime. Patrick Mahomes was a little hobbled with an ankle injury. So Chiefs offense was kind of out of sync in the second half. But uh, Michael Hardman, we know all about the big playability. And we know he has a smash spot for week two against the Raiders. And it's possible he's going to have two catches for 21 yards. But again, especially in a deeper league, you're already feel like you're lacking upside at the wide receiver position. Michael Hardman, a great flyer to take at the, the wide receiver The usage position. matters more than the production at this moment. And again, he had the usage. Just no real targets, no real volume yet, but working in with the starters, we're 
projecting him to do that should result in production. And we've talked about it already with Lamar Jackson, probably John Ross. Like, these are the peak performances of the year already. The same can be said for Sammy Watkins. Yeah. I mean, 11 targets, 9 catches, 198 yards, and 3 touchdowns. He's probably good at football, Josh. You should probably have said that during the offseason. <laughs> um, but because of that, I mean, he drained the production from everyone else. I mean, Travis Kelsey, only 3 catches. Damon Williams had six catches. Again, Tyreek Hill just two before that injury. So we expect it to be spread around a little bit more. Yeah, that's one of Patrick Mahomes' specialty. Uh, Sammy Watkins isn't going to have the fifth best receiving performance in Chiefs history every week. Hopefully, hoping that's gonna ha- not going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes things do happen. So, uh, But we're, we're all rooting for you, Sammy, except for me. Um, okay. Uh, so for more running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, all your waiver wire goodness, again, be sure to check out John Daigle's waiver wire column up on Tuesday morning. And that's going to do it for us here, Pat. Again, go and check out the Whip Around podcast. We'll be back actually with episodes on Thursday and Friday and each and every Sunday, Roto World Live, noon Eastern, helping you set your optimal lineup ahead of week one on NBC Sports' YouTube page or the Roto World Twitch handle. So for Patrick Doherty, thanks so much. I'm Josh Nars. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.